Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very best video bames. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Evening. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. I do my best to give the people what they want. And we're discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! Right at the top of the episode, we'd love to invite you to share this podcast upon social media. We very much appreciate it when we see people doing that. So if you're enjoying it, please do point some people in the direction of it. You can also point people in the direction of a YouTube channel that we have. Search for Our Three Cents and you can find all of our amazing video content. We have an Instagram channel at O3C Podcast. All of our video content is on there as well, as well as other bits and bobs. And if you're really enjoying what we're doing, you can also check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash our three cents, where we've got loads of great perks available for those of you wanting a bit more of us in you. (laughs) So this week we have our 12th favourite video games of all time. But before we do that, it is time to return to... I think what is come to be known as the Minty Show. No, yeah. so formerly no, known no. as the Hour Three Cents Quiz. <laughs> Which PlayStation 2 game released in 2003 was banned by several countries and implicated and implicated by the media in a murder? Oh, it is Manhunt, isn't it? It is Manhunt. Correct, Chris. <laughs> yes! Well done. You have formed yes! level oh, once oh. again. Boring trivia. It was implicated in that murder case, and it was actually the game was at the victim's house. It wasn't even anything to do with the kid who murdered the other one, and it was just a big tabloid furore over nothing. Yeah. So, what have we been playing this week? Shall I tell you what I've been playing this week? Is it a thousand games? It's not a thousand games, but it is a game about a thousand pieces because I have been playing the Art Deco inspired stained glass window puzzle game Glass Masquerade that you mentioned. A couple of weeks ago, Chris. I've, I've managed to get you to buy a few recently, haven't I? <laughs> mm. Yes, and I bought the double pack of Glass Masquerade and Glass Masquerade 2 Illusions, I think it's called, on the Switch. I have finished playing through the first game, which was really, really nice. I, I really enjoyed, really, really enjoyed that. I, I'm not enjoying the second one as much because it's, it's changed a few things up. For a start, all of the all of the puzzles are all, at the moment, all seem to be circular. Uh, there aren't any oh. sort of interesting shaped puzzles, which which I really liked. And uh, the the designs in the puzzles in the first one were obviously linked to the the country that you were in, as it were, in the sort of level select bit. And so it always had a nice bit of sort of cultural relevance, and and, and I like that as well. But uh, illusions just seems to be just embracing some weird, sinister. I don't know really what it is, to be honest. It's all a bit all over the place. But the puzzles are fun, but not as fun as the first. But I, I'd like to think that I'll, I'll carry on playing yeah. and, and finish it, just because it's quite nice, sort of mindless. Yeah, that's a shame. Like, I, I'm I'm almost at the end of my replay through the first game. I've got, like, yeah. five, five or six puzzles left, so an hour and I'll be done. And I wanted to go on to the second one afterwards because I never played that back uh, when I did the mm. first. But yeah, that's, that's put a bit of a downer on it, actually, that it's, <laughs> it's missing some of the nice bits. You might enjoy it. There's there's a there's a hard mode for all of the puzzles as well. So you can yeah. switch between those. And um, yeah, it's I, I haven't quite got my head around its format um, because there's stuff like you get keys like to unlock things and certain things are worth more keys. And I, I don't really understand. <laughs> I don't really understand it. I haven't needed to understand it to keep doing puzzles. So, um, so that's been all right. But that's been nice. That's sort of something I've broken up my continual obsession of with pick pick <laughs> with <laughs> in between other things which has been which has been lovely but i also did play a new game this week which is mike bithell's latest game mike bithell of thomas was alone fame and he also did uh he did volume and he did subsurface circular and subsurface quarantine there we go and his latest game is solitaire conspiracy which is <laughs> a Fairly simple, straightforward solitaire card game, but presented in the uh, high-stakes world of international espionage, accompanied by full-motion video and 
is really good fun. It's, I mean, the, the solitaire game at its heart is really nice. It's really simple. The 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 set dressing is is great fun. It's got a very very uh, amusing script and acting in it, which is similar in sort of tone to Thomas Was Alone with Danny Wallace. It was, yeah. Who did that? And that was really really nice. And yeah, it's just really it's really clever. All of the so the, the way that the actual solitaire game works is you have between one and four sets of suits of cards and ace up to king and they will be in columns on your left and right down the middle are your your assembly columns and you need to build up the suits from ace up to king you can move cards around the either side by placing a card onto a higher number card uh, to sort of move things around to sort of free up cards that are on top of each other and, and, and try and build them up. Each of the suits have different power-ups for your your agents, which are the Jack, Queen and King. So some may allow you to just shuffle the little stack that you put it on. Some may invert the stack. Some may look at what suit card is on top of that stack and then send the next number in that suit sequence onto its assembly pile there's yeah there's loads of loads of little things like that and it's yeah it's really really good fun it's 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 all quite you know knowingly tongue-in-cheek and a bit silly in terms of its presentation but uh yeah i it's great i think i can support it on mac as well so i can have it on one screen whilst i'm and play a couple of games in between editing and whatever else i'm doing you probably don't need the music on. The music is bloody intense, though. It's like full on, <laughs> <laughs> full on James Bond, like uh, Mission Impossible style music. I, I definitely recommend checking it out. It's only 10 quid on Steam. And yeah, if you like a card game, definitely get in there. What about you guys? Chris, what have you played this week? I have played a bit more Yonder that I mentioned last week. Oh, uh, yes. I'm, I'm quite far through now. I think the, the game says I'm at almost 80% completion oh, almost wow. so far. The late game does throw up a few frustrations that I didn't find so much early on, such as like needing a lot of certain crafting materials for quests sometimes that are not always that readily available. And that has kind of like the knock-on effect of exposing an issue quite similar to Animal Crossing, where making multiples of the same item can be really annoying when you're crafting. Yeah. <laughs> what it doesn't detract from, though, is just the game's world and presentation, so I've still really enjoyed playing it. When Georgia plays, she's much more focused on like finding items and clearing quests and, and herding animals and things like that. But for me, I've, I've spent a lot of time just obsessing over using the game's photo mode. <laughs> like I know these are ten a penny in games these days, but but Yonder has like a surprisingly full featured camera that lets you move to almost any location relative to your character with dual analog movement, like controlling the the camera's viewpoint from all three axes. And then it's also got like a surprisingly robust suite of, of focus and aperture and exposure options. Like I've posted a few to Twitter and, and it's a really, really lovely world. Like it's, it's one of these games that I mentioned when I talked about Breath of the Wild the other week. I, I choose to play on the Switch where I can almost always, even if there's like some compromises that have to be made. And, and with Yonder, I think it's probably the stability of the frame rate is probably a little bit more wobbly than if it was on the PlayStation or, or the PC. But the game doesn't look any worse to my eyes as, as what it would on any other platform. And, and it's a real achievement for the Switch. I think it's a, a lovely looking game. I've also played some Mega Drive games uh, spurred on by talking about Streets of Rage last week. Uh-huh. So I have been using my trusty Vita in the evenings to emulate games. Naturally, I, I played Streets of Rage, uh, but I've also gone <laughs> back to things like Road Rash and Comic Zone and Rocket Knight, like a, f- a few of the, the entries that have been on my list, essentially, as well as a couple others. I said a few episodes ago, like, again, when I was talking about Breath of the Wild, that the Switch was my favorite console by far. But I think the form factor and, and the wider application of the Vita still means that it's my my go-to console for quick sessions before bed because it's always yeah. there you know it turns on pretty quickly it's got this whole range of retro stuff i can play and I, I really enjoy that and it's also good like when when georgia has monopoly over the switch playing yonder <laughs> i i can play some streets of rage next to her which is really nice but what this time with the vita has made me realize is that you know my vita now must be i think seven or maybe eight years old yeah, and it's it's time I need to start thinking about having a backup device <laughs> because I've I've had this console since launch, and now when you first turn it on, if, if the screen is completely black but still lit, there is a small spot in the center of the picture I can see on like a pure black background, and you you don't notice it at all when things are playing. But I know this is an issue because this is an older OLED screen on the first model of Vita. It's something which I think can spread over time. Okay. And I will be I will be devastated if it suddenly dies <laughs> a death. 
you know, how else am I going to play Streets of Rage 2? You know, the second the urge pops into my head if my Vita's not there for me. <laughs> so, you know, the, the Vita is wonderful. The Mega Drive is wonderful. Playing games in bed is wonderful as well. And uh, yeah, I just need to look for a, a backup unit, really. How about you, Minty? What have you played this week? Well, after Xenoblade last week, there's been quite a vacuum in my video game life. So I decided to... Uh, act upon Christopher Dow's recommendation and pick up Ooh. Yonder myself. Ah. I need to be just like a salesman these days. I should just quit my job as a teacher. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, as as was mentioned in the group chat, um, middling reviews, but I trust your opinion over some dink who is paid to write for a website. <laughs> and as I say, it it is a nice game. I'm having a nice time with it. It's, it's a good size, if that makes yeah. sense. It's, it's a the world map is a good size, so there's no, there's there's not really a very easy uh, fast travel system of, aside from just walking everywhere, building farms, and then crafting something to let you travel over there. So outside of that, it's never really a slog to say walk to one end of the map to the other, which I like. Although I'm not, I don't I don't know if this is just me not paying attention, but I'm not really, I don't, I don't feel like things that I do have that much of an impact, like. Take crafting, for example. It just seems like a means to an end to complete quests. Yeah. Which is just, oh, that. what do I get out of this? Oh, that that's just the quest ticked as done in my in my quest log. Like, yeah, yeah. I think I've been spoiled by things like uh, Fantasy Life, where a quest would give you such things as uh, money, as better equipment, stat boosts, and all the rest of it. And there's, no, there's not even any money in this game. Like, no, it, it uses a weird barter system, doesn't it? it so, like, I really like that. Like, it, yeah. it sort of, it, funnily enough, it puts a lot more value on the things that you that you craft and the things that you grow. It's like, oh, I've I've, I've got ten potatoes, but I really want that piece of cloth. <laughs> <laughs> Do I? How many potatoes am I willing to part with to get this to to get this cloth so I can make a fucking shirt? When, when I'm playing with Georgia, she's. Uh... George is like militant in getting rid of stuff. Mm. So for me, I would think, okay, if I need to buy something that's say 50 of their currency, I would go through and say, well, I've got loads of fodder or sticks or something I know I can pick up easily yeah. and get rid of those. And, and George is just like, well, I'll just get rid of that rare hat. That's worth loads. And it's like, no, you don't you want to keep the yeah. nice hat? Oh. <laughs> keep that, that, that nice beard that we found. But no, she, I come back to my game and it's like, why is my character nude? Yeah. <laughs> like, you've just, you've sold the clothes off our back. To be fair, clothes have been classed as a non-essential item. So. Yes, by Tesco's, wasn't it, in Wales? Yeah. Oh, the art of the deal, baby. <laughs> I think I, I just need to, instead of just sort of going through my, my, my journal and just going through every single uh, side quest, as is my way, I just think I need to put a little bit more effort into actually discovering just 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 what the heck I'm doing on this island. Could yeah. Merc rescuing little sprites and actually progressing the story so that I can actually get invested in this island and its people more than I am at the moment because it's 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 nice doing nice things for people. But it's just mm, it's just not quite there for me at the moment. Yeah. I'm still liking it but yeah I'm I'm just waiting to just waiting to be really uh, reeled in, I think. Well, I look forward to getting to, to that in turn at some point. Shall we move on to the rankings? Let's, sure. Let's, let's do it. blast these out. Starting this week, we have Mentola Grande. Minty oh. Booth, can you please tell <laughs> us about your 12th favourite video game of all time? I really struggled with this century, actually. Getting getting ready for it and writing writing this little uh, this little blur. I, I I thought back over why I've placed it so highly. It's it's one of the only games of its kind on my list, and I think it's probably the only game of its kind that I've ever played. Now, these are things like Mario games. You can sort of take a step back and say, "Oh yes, I I, I play plenty of platformers. I know what makes a platformer great, and uh, this one does this well." Yep, yep, yep. But here, no, not a clue, not a clue. So I'm just gonna. <laughs> I'm not going to worry about whether it's an objectively good game. I, I, I love it. And good. perhaps you do too. Looking back over the many games I've played over the past few decades, I think this game was uh, instrumental in it, instilling a love for a particular game mechanic. Crafting. 
fucking love crafting. (laughs) What is it about mashing two things together to make something else that's so satisfying? Oh, make a a reactor out of twigs and shells. Um, You can create a weapon to slay gods out of a bit of snow and some cat shit. There's nothing like it. (laughs) But then you take another step back and you realise, oh, it's not just crafting that I love. It's the more nebulous idea of resource management. I've just completed Xenoblade Chronicles, and throughout that game I was like, well, do I use my only sacred panther to fill this page of my collectopedia, or do I give it to Juju to rebuild a decimated town? Do I spend an hour wandering through the Magna Forest trying to find a forest of gossip, (laughs) or do I trade another item with somebody else for it? Well, I need that other item that I would have traded for something else, and that's not even touching on the gem crafting. I got just as much enjoyment out of those parts of the game as I did out of actually completing it. Uh, if if not more, <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest. I'll tell you what I also like. Ancient history. Or really, any history that you won't learn about in a classroom. I failed the subject in school because I just don't care about British exceptionalism or how many women Henry VIII poked. <laughs> I wonder what my life would be like if... <laughs> I wonder what my life would be like if we'd have learnt about the uh, the Carboniferous period of history or the, uh, the the Permian Triassic extinction event instead of having to endure Mr. Bradley trying in vain to get me to give a shit about Churchill. <laughs> the bloody racist. <laughs> oh, I tell you. Fucking hell. Well, today's game brings both of these loves of mine together and more in the ancient Egyptian flavoured <gasps> city builder, Pharaoh. How wonderful. One of Sierra's finest, Pharaoh puts you in the shoes of a municipal dynasty and tasks you with building scores of cities through many generations. I'm not sure how accurate the the flavour text before each level is, but did you know that after a lengthy struggle, the Thanite king Horaha successfully united the twin kingdoms of Upper and Lower Egypt, proclaimed himself pharaoh over all Egypt, and founded an imposing capital at Menlefer. <laughs> no idea if that's true, but I, as Clement Hep the Eleventh, felt like I had a hand in this formative point in ancient history, so much so that um, I didn't even have to look that up. I, I committed that to memory when I was nine. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely believe that that is true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the game itself is simple enough. You you build houses to attract people. And you build amenities up to the stand to up the standard of living and give people jobs, and then they somehow make their houses bigger on the back of those amenities so that more people can move into your city. And then, boom, level one's complete. You've got seven hundred people in your town and a kingdom rating of sixty. Each level has different win conditions, so you start off just making sure people are happy to progress in the game, and your town is is nice enough that uh, more people will move in to meet that population requirement. But as we all know, the ancient Egyptians are famous for something else. Monuments. Big Triangle and the Cat. (laughs) We love them. (laughs) As you progress, you need to balance keeping people happy and utilising their arms and thighs to create enormous obelisks and mustabatums, <laughs> pledging continuous fealty to Pharaoh through expensive gifts or sending your own troops. It's a, it's a really nice difficulty curve. It, tutorials are limited to just a single dialogue box at the start of a level when you come up against something new like uh, military skirmishes or trying to farm on the Nile when a hippo is nearby. It's not intrusive, it's just, oh, that's how you do that. Great. Click. Let's get started. Something I really like as well is how you can gauge how good a job you're doing is uh, through not only looking at charts and ratings, you can also right click on individual townsfolk and see what they're thinking. Well, there goes the juggler. Uh, Let's right click. It's hard to catch these balls when you're doubled over with hunger pains. Can I just say that is a a flawless Egyptian accent. (laughs) I've watched a lot of videos of Rami Malek. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not pushing this cart any further until someone is available to unload it. That's a diegetic hint that you need to construct a storage yard. I I like having the option of progressing through the game by either being a bean counter or a man of the people. Whereas I struggled with the design of individual set pieces in Rollercoaster Tycoon, um, in Pharaoh... I really liked being able to build upon a generic balance of housing, utilities, and beautification that could be moulded to the objective 
uh, to the objectives of each map. It's like cooking. If you want to make a pizza, you start off with a good base, a delicious sauce, top it with cheese, and let your tastes dictate the toppings. Once you've nailed the basics, you can then start playing around and trying to elevate your craft. And that's what this game does really well. So well, in fact, that it places 12th on my all-time favourite video games list. Wonderful. How wonderful. I remember that game uh, very well. I never played it, but I did play shitloads of Caesar 3, mm. which is a game that I totally forgotten about until this point in time. Uh, it was basically oh. the, the ancient Rome version. And exactly like you and my relationship with history as well, I had no interest in the stuff we were learning at school uh, in GCSE. Well, no, I didn't even do GCSE history, which is because I did not enjoy it. Um, but I just wanted to learn about exactly the same things as you. Ancient Egypt, ancient Rome, you know, the, the time of the dinosaurs, early mm. man, stuff that was actually interesting, stuff that was almost sort of woven in with myth and legend. That was the stuff that really excited me. And I, I loved it in Caesar 3, where you had to you had to keep basically the gods happy as well. You never saw them. Yeah, um, yeah. They didn't like come in and be like, ooh. But it made you feel like how I imagine the ancient Romans felt, which enabled them to to come up with the idea of, of the gods and stuff, because all of a sudden you see like the, the, the riverbanks flood or something and destroy half of your town. And then you're like, oh, God, I can't believe that. And then you're like, hang on a minute. I haven't actually built a statue to Poseidon or uh, Neptune, as, as it is in Roman mythology. Yeah. In Egypt, it was Osiris. Yeah. You have to build temples to Osiris and he would bless you with a great inundation upon the Nile, which made your farmland more fertile. <laughs> there we go. And it's stuff like that where... You know, it's easy to look at it in the game and be like, oh, yeah, no, I need to build that to do that. But it did make me think, actually, if you were one of these people who's being affected by it down there and the you know the banks flood for seemingly no reason because you don't understand how, I don't know, I don't understand how that stuff works. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then then you probably go, oh, God, it's probably it's probably some some absolute powerful god yeah yeah i had a real knack for caesar 3 I, I i've said before i'm not a huge fan of of strategy games and certainly not real-time strategy games because i sort of don't have the, the that type of mindset with the immediacy required for a real-time strategy game but I, I got on really well with caesar 3 it looked lovely i love the love the graphic graphical style of of that are there any modern sort of games that are akin to that apart from obviously things like Civilization. I don't know. I don't know what time period Civilization starts in. I don't know. Well, I've I've been trying to find something similar for years and years and years, but it's all tainted by like just pay to win mechanics. I just want something that I can pay a few quid for, and I was like, oh, now I need to just build my city, and that's great. But it's all like, oh, download it for free, but also spend spend twenty quid for gems that you can use to make town hall. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, and oh, you've bought Town Hall. Now it's time to buy, I don't know, fucking statue of, I don't know, the, the mayor <laughs> to yeah. give you a boost here. Like, wh wh when will it end with you people? When will it end? <laughs> Just let me pay one amount of money and then carry on and have a great time with it. The, the freemium types of games like these are the ones that have caused me so much financial trouble uh, <laughs> because that's... You know, um, oh, that's how they get you. Things like Farmville and things like Heyday and then Township and fucking Asterix game <laughs> yeah. and, and all stuff like that. And e even even like mobile iterations of things like Dungeon Keeper and Theme Park and, and other things like that. It's just it's a real shame that that model in the last 10 years has, has taken over this, this style of game. This game, Pharaoh, I've just looked it up. I, I take like... A small amount of pride that on our list so far, out of all the games we've talked about, even if I haven't played one of your entries, I usually can say, oh, I know the series. Like, oh, I know, I know King's Quest or, or you know, I, I know something about what it is you're talking about. I have never heard or seen Pharaoh before. Oh, wow. <laughs> I think this is the first one. This is the first game that I'm looking at this going like, nope, never seen a screenshot. Didn't know it existed. Like, it looks like one of those city builder type games. So I, I understand the concept, but... Hmm. Never heard of it. I'm, 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 I'm quite shocked, actually. Well, wow. yeah, I am as well. Yeah. And that it that it ranks this highly—that's that's unbelievable. I, I really want to 
see what what it's about. Well, I'm very excited to say that Dot Emu, who is the company that did that amazing remake of Wonder Boy three, yes, are currently making uh, a remake of Pharaoh due to come out next year. Oh, there you go! Wow, amazing! And it, it's not, not it's not long still, to wait. still isometric. It looks it. It looks it's all oh. cell shaded. Oh, it looks gorgeous. That's lifted my spirits. Good. That's what we want in these dark times. So, moving on, we have Chris's game. Chris, can you please tell us about your 12th favourite video game of all time? I can do. I'm going to paint a little picture for you. Cool. In in this picture, I am about 11 years old. I remember. I, I'm standing in a wintry field. I'm wearing a big long coat and I've, I've got some gloves on because it's a bit chilly. The sun is just rising in the sky because it's, it's quite early in the morning and I, I'm attempting to, to tilt my body in such a way that the sun's rays are helping rather than hindering my view of my Game Boy Colours screen. <laughs> Behind me, and my brother, who is at this point about eight years old, is playing football. I have no idea what team he's playing for or who he is playing against. <laughs> at that age, I imagine the match can't be more than like 45 minutes, maybe an hour tops. But I am so transfixed on the handheld that it feels like I've been stood in this kind of dewy grass for hours. The stage I'm playing is very, very tough. The stage is absolutely huge. It is called The Really Final Chapter. (gasps) Now, today's game has already been discussed by both of you. I bit my tongue when it appeared woefully low on Jonathan's list, but upsettingly low. (laughs) Still a great game. Yeah, it is. Then, Then I got a bit carried away with excitement when it appeared on Minty's list a few weeks back. My 12th favourite game of all time is Nintendo's Subversive Warrior Land 2. Amazing. The platform game where you can't die. R3 cents approved. R3 cents approved. What a game. Ding. <laughs> <laughs> so playing this game at about age 11 for the first time just kind of like broke my brain a bit. <laughs> <laughs> like I'd played Super Mario Land on, on the Game Boy, the kind of analogue to, to early NES platformers. Simple stages, a game that looped after the credits. It was contained, it was succinct, it was it was simple to understand. I'd played Super Mario Land 2, a game with, with battery backup now, non-linear stage progression, probably 10 times the content of its predecessor. I'd played Super Mario Land 3, Warrior Land, a game that traded Mario out as the playable character for the antagonist of the previous game, but largely just felt kind of the same to play. Warrior Land 2, though, marks a departure for the series. Like, there, there's no reference to Mario in the title for the first time. And in shunning Nintendo's mascot, the series just goes gloves off weird. <laughs> like, Minty mentioned that the character transformations that are used as, as obstacles or as a means to solve puzzles. Jonathan mentioned how the game leans heavily into exploration, urging you to smash every wall for extra treasure. Minty talked up the game's branching narrative paths. Jonathan mentioned the collectibles hidden in each stage's bonus rooms. It's it's a massive, massive game. But it was also a game that I did not fully appreciate on purchase. Like, it just didn't make sense. It didn't make sense to me. I, I played a few stages, and I think I was actually a bit annoyed when I realised that I couldn't take damage. Like, it was, you know, this is a convention-breaking title. One of the very first games I played that made me think a little bit about design. But unfortunately, though, because of childhood stubbornness, my takeaway on that first effort to play the game was just a frustration that I perceived the game to be too easy. Like, if I can't die, I can finish it in one go, surely. And I never really gave it proper time because I believed it ought to have been something that it wasn't. Like, I I actually wanted it to be more vanilla, hop on the platforms, Mario action. Now, fast forward a little bit of time until the lunchtime Game Boy Club of secondary school that we've mentioned quite a few (laughs) times recently, Jonathan. And, and the shared experience of then revisiting this game alongside you made me totally reappraise the game's quality. Like maybe it was because I'd had like perhaps an extra year of personal development and growth that kind of made it click. Maybe it was just a right place, right time kind of thing, spurred on by peers to be part of a gang like Pokemon a few months later. But what I know though in, in 2020, like what I know now is that Warrior Land 2 was an almost peerless game for the time that through the genre conventions of the side-scrolling platformer on its head completely. Like, no death meant that levels could afford to be labyrinthine. Like, challenge then came from having to map these big spaces in your head rather than navigating, like, a tricky set of jumps or enemies that would traditionally make you hemorrhage your lives. Hidden collectibles and, and coin caches meant that levels needed to be replayed. Like, it wasn't just a game of A to B, one and done. 
every stage tried to immerse you in its tricksy layouts. The, the branching paths, like I said, the kind of branching narrative, it was something that it was very possible to be completely oblivious to until you first beat the final stage and unlocked the, the wider stage map that, you know, it, it made me feel similar to that feeling you've described, Minty, a few times that you beat a game to realise there's actually way more game. <laughs> like it just, it opens up suddenly. It's like, no, this, I've played about a fifth of this thing. Like this is huge. Mm. Warrior 2 is, is one of the other games I've emulated on my Vita this last week. And it really holds up. It really, really holds up. Like I've mentioned before that I find it quite incredible how the humble Game Boy produced experiences like Alleyway, Super Mario Land, Golf, Tetris in that kind of early launch window lasted the best part of like a decade on the market and by the end of it had reduced things like warrior land 2 pokemon red and blue Link's awakening you know these huge expansive games the the game boys internals are barely more powerful than a late 80s scientific calculator (laughs) and yet here was a game that that honestly challenged home console releases for scope and ingenuity it's it's one of the greatest games of all time like at least to me on this list and and by extension it's it's one of the most impressive pieces of handheld design I've, I've ever seen. The format of this game was was expanded for, for Warrior Land 3, but that was a title that I know is very well revered, but I never gave proper time to because I, I didn't own a copy. I think it's very similar, but, you know, a little bit more as far as I know. The format was tweaked slightly, I know, for Warrior Land 4, that, uh, a game that you've mentioned before, Jonathan, on, on here. But again, one that I had quite limited exposure to because I, I had a Game Boy Advance quite late. It wasn't my main console at that time. But for me, Warrior Land 2 is one of the most important games in, in the entire Mario canon because of its confidence to take what we knew about platform games and then serve it back to us like Picasso style in a new Cubist <laughs> arrangement. Like there, there are so many games now which owe a debt to titles like this because it, it was just such a trailblazer in recontextualizing conventions of, of what a platform game was. I've mentioned before that a huge part of what I enjoy about games it comes from kind of our age that we've grown up with the medium in a way that, you know, those who are a bit older and certainly those who are a little bit younger haven't. So we've we've watched games find their feet. We've watched games grapple with kind of mainstream acceptance. We've now watched games become the predominant media form of the 21st century. And to make a comparison, like in visual art, art only moves forward by artists embracing what's come before and then considering how they can move in a slightly different direction. So thinking about some of the art movements that people might have heard of, you've got things like Impressionism and then following on to Fauvism and then Cubism and then Abstract Expressionism and then Pop Art. Like These all exist as direct responses to their preceding movements. And, and whilst video game genres are segmented differently, I think we can absolutely argue that, that a game that upends its genre in the way that Warrior Land 2 does is exploring that same idea of respectfully taking all that's gone before it and then thinking how to create both revolution and, and evolution within its constraints. Like, I finish a lot of entries in this way, but <laughs> what a fucking game. Like, <laughs> Warrior Land 2 is, is an 8-bit masterwork. It is, it is something else. And like I said, it plays just as well if you pick it up now as it did however many years ago it was when it released. A, a towering achievement. Absolutely unbelievable. And, and the best Game Boy game, I think. Just, <laughs> just the best Game Boy game that isn't Tetris. I'll say that. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, R3 Sense approved. You're not going to get any arguments from us too. No. Hearing you two talk about it, obviously more recently than I thought about it, has really made me want to revisit it. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've got it on my 3DS. I've obviously got it on my Vita. Yeah. I think I will give it a whirl and uh, and revisit it, reappraise it, and then we can maybe do a Warrior Land 2 special celebrating just how good it is. Do it. So finally, we have my game. Do you guys want to know what my 12th favourite video game of all time is? I do. Slap it on us. When I first put this list together, I went through a fairly specific process. First, I listed all the games I could think of that I'd played. Then I culled all the ones that I had a, you know, sort of middling opinions of. Then I find that again by games I didn't have like a real emotional connection to. That left me with about, I don't know, maybe 120, 130 games. The next stage was to organise them alphabetically. So they were in many ways organised randomly, which is I know sounds weird, but it means they're not organised by console or by gaming series or by, you know, what order I remembered them in. So they could I could try and approach them and appraise them 
with as little sort of external context as, as I could. And then I went through the games one by one and decided where on my growing list it would place. So for a brief while, Alex Kidd in Miracle World was at number one. Until my alphabetically second game came along and superseded it. And then I started fitting all the other games in between those two. And I watched Alex Kidd slowly slip down the list. But this second game stayed fixed at number one for a while. And then it stayed in the top five for, for quite a while longer. And, and it genuinely saddened me quite, quite deeply when, when a couple more games came along that, that shunted it out of the top 10. So even though number 12 is an incredibly prestigious place to be ranked in an all-time list, I sort of get this feeling that I've, I've shut the wide-eyed innocent orphan out of the party. And now it's, it's stood <laughs> out in the cold, watching through the window at the celebrations happening without them, wondering what they did wrong. You didn't do anything wrong. It's, it's, it's just that more things did it right. I'm, I'm so, so sorry, Animal Crossing. I do love oh, you. I truly do. Oh, just somehow not top 10. Oh. <laughs> My 12th favourite video oh. game is the 3DS's glorious, beautiful, wondrous and idyllic Animal Crossing New Leaf. Oh. <laughs> oh. I know. I know. Mm-hmm. I think it's worth saying that if we were revising our lists, I would have New Horizons standing in here as the representative for, you know, all the other games, all the other Animal Crossing games I've played, as, as New Leaf is doing here. And it possibly might be higher up on my list, or it might end up around about the same place. I don't know. I don't know. It's for a future episode to decide. But as we've said before, with games such as Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, New Horizons, the latest iteration of the Animal Crossing series, is, I think, better than New Leaf. but. At the time of this list's assembly, New Leaf had no problem standing in for my experience with Wild World as well, which I had a wonderful time playing on the original DS. My enduring memory of, of Wild World actually was was seeing you play it, Chris, on your DS Lite. And I yes, hadn't yeah. seen a DS Lite in operation at that point and saw little reason why I'd want to pick one up over my original DS model. But the sheer brightness and contrast that was on the screen convinced me that I should seek an upgrade. And I think not too long after that, I ended up getting the DSi, which had come out by then too, which was a lovely upgrade, substantial upgrade on the original model as well, as it obviously had a whole lot more features in it. And most importantly, allowed me to buy the original Rayman on another console after it got released as a piece of DSiWare. (laughs) Very important. Carry it with you. Which is a digression. Do I need to talk about the gameplay of Animal Crossing? I think we've talked about Animal Crossing more than any other game on this podcast, probably. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. But if for some reason you've got this far in the podcast without hearing about Animal Crossing, it's... Nintendo's beautiful life sim where you play as the sole human in a town inhabited by lovely, adorable animal characters. You slowly build your life and your town up and just have a lovely time doing that. You can go fishing, collect artwork, dig up fossils, buy new outfits, new furniture, loads of other lovely things. So Wild World was was great. I, I never had the original Animal Crossing on GameCube. I, I, I feel like it didn't even get released over here, or did it? I, I don't know. Uh, if we got it, it was very late. Uh, yeah. I can't remember for sure, though. I remember seeing it being covered and talked about in Nintendo Official Magazine, but I didn't really know anything about it. I didn't you know, didn't know what sort of game it was or, or what you were meant to do, but I remember people being very excited about it. But when Wild World came out on the DS, I got to get hands-on with it, and it felt like Animal Crossing really fitted perfectly on a handheld device, one you could quickly pick up and play, chip away at here and there if you were out and about on public transport, and the feeling of, of tucking your console back into your pocket, knowing there was a full little world that you were making contained in that clamshell. It's a great feeling. I remember when I saw screenshots and videos of New Leaf for 3DS, I didn't think it looked like a significant upgrade over Wild World. But when I checked, I realised my reference point was fully rose-saturated and Wild World looked quite <laughs> ugly in comparison to the, the newly <laughs> elongated character models, Im- improved lighting, resolution features that were on offer in this new game. Much like the sort of brain shock I got from revisiting Super Circuit after playing Mario Kart DS uh, and also then revisiting Mario Kart DS when I'd got Mario Kart 7. But I had no doubt in my mind that I was going to pour as many hours and as much love and attention into my new village in New Leaf as as I did in Wild World. And I wasn't bloody wrong. I have zero enduring memories of my time in Wild World. And that's because every single area of the game was improved upon in New Leaf. And all of my experiences in New Leaf were so much greater. 
it's not surprising in many ways because you're basically just doing the same things as you were in the original Animal Crossing as well. And, and as I'm now doing almost 500 hours into New Horizons, you know, building a little town, making friends, Crazy. shaking trees, buying furniture and clothes and creating a little idyllic life for myself. There were several new features introduced in the game in New Leaf since Wild World to help make the experience even more personal. You could now wear socks. (laughs) (laughs) You could go swimming and diving for sea creatures. You are now the mayor of your town, allowing you a bit more control over how the island came together. There were also a whole host of new online features, allowing you to easily pay visits to your friends' islands and also visit houses from around the world. And Nintendo designed homes to gather some interior inspiration. It made your town feel more connected, but but only if you wanted it to be. Like, if you wanted to take some comfort in your seclusion, and it was easy to avoid other actual humans, which is obviously always good. <laughs> I mean, for me saying that New Horizons is a superior game, it it is in almost every way. Uh, but, you know, as, as we spoke about a little bit last week, uh, Nintendo are, are pacing the rollout of new features, and there are some things that haven't made it across from New Leaf yet. One key example of this, and it's something that does make me a bit sad, is the absence of your boat rides with the captain. Oh, I love it. In New Leaf, the former mayor of your village in Wild World, and I think from the original Animal Crossing as well, the kindly old tortoise, Tortimer, he's retired to a desert island and you could take trips out there where it was suspended in an eternal summer and it would allow you to get more fruit and fish and stuff. Also some mini games, I think, and some exclusive marine themed bits of shit and stuff i don't know uh, but but to get out to the island you had to spend a, a little boat ride with the wonderful captain who would serenade you as you sailed and it was never not absolutely charming and brilliant i swear that the lyrics were processed through some algorithm because the songs were always different and always totally weird but but, but often qu- quite poignant and beautiful and and i miss him <laughs> yeah yeah Occasionally, I'll try and summon him with my amiibo in New Horizons, just just to remind Tom Nook that he's still around. Also, Miss Booker and Copper, the dog cops, and Brewster, the coffee pigeon. So hopefully some of these characters will come back in New Horizons at some point. Although I'm, I'm quite glad to see the back of Mr. Rossetti, Dreadful Mole. No. Do you, you love Mr. Rossetti? Oh, I, I, I love him and his brother, Don. Oh, God, I forget that, Don. Oh, he was oh. the one just chilling out in his in the hole, wasn't he? Watching TV. Yeah, and and if uh, if Mister Rossetti had really got angry at you, Don would come and apologise. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Oh, <laughs> I, I don't even know what that emotion is. Oh, something Chris touched upon a couple of weeks back when talking about Pokemon Red was uh, was that game being the birth of his collecting collector's spirit, and I think that's possibly true of me as well. I'm significantly less of a collector now than I used to be. That I mean, there were times when I I would have every special edition under the sun. I wanted to get all the different variants of things that I loved. I, I used to have almost like a thousand DVDs. I would never trade my games in. I would lose all my pocket money to the, the craze of the year, be that you know football stickers, pogs, or yo-yos. I, I I attached and I still do attach huge sentimental value to, to everything I own. These days, I find I have to curb my collecting. Certainly, you know, one of the things I've learned living with a, a diagnosis of OCD is to to know where my slippery slopes are. If I start collecting something, it will fast become all-consuming. I actually had a moment of enlightenment with this when it came to Pokemon cards. Like, the whole idea of that just screamed danger, danger at me from, from across the playground. It, it was like someone had, had purposefully designed something with the sole purpose of attaining my obsession and... I made the definitive decision to not buy a single pack of Pokemon cards, something I still have never done. But curating a digital collection of something was a much kinder affair to my brain. I I didn't need to shell out tons of cash to get all the different cards in in the Game Boy's Pokemon trading card game RPG, which was brilliant, by the way. It's a good game. It's, It's different now with so many games having so many pieces of DLC, a lot of which are just cosmetics. You know, I had to be a bit careful with that side of Sea of Thieves because I had a huge temptation right away to chuck a whole sack of real life doubloons at the game to get all the different pets and all the different outfits. But I found that a lot of the outfits I really wanted, I really wanted to feel that I'd earned them, which sort of helped keep that side of my character at bay. But Animal Crossing is the purest sense of a collector's dream. And it's the side of the game that that brought me so much joy. Finding your handful of fossils every day, taking them to be assessed by Blathers at the museum, slowly building your collection, 
going fishing for the new fish that would appear every month to try and fill out your aquarium or trying to create the right type of flowers to attract the right sort of butterflies to freak blathers out with and and keeping an eye on on the rotation of, of furniture and wallpaper in the shop to try and find more to add to your collection and just the sense of gentle progression that you make through the game is is just so pure we spoke before new horizons was announced and released about our fears over the way that the animal crossing games could go after the release of pocket camp the freemium model mobile game which removed all sense of this gentle relaxing pace you were meant to take the game at like it it baffles me that that game was created it's the total antithesis of everything the series stands for. Yeah, it really misses the mark, doesn't it? Absolutely. It's like having a lovely, family-friendly, Jackbox Party Resident Evil game. Like, <laughs> what's the point? Just just use a different franchise or create a new IP? I, obviously, we were all thrilled then that New Horizons didn't go in that direction. And the fact that it sold approximately 14 billion copies and probably saved hundreds of lives going yeah. through lockdown yeah. is hope that Nintendo won't resort to those types of features in the series anytime soon. The ability to slow down, take stock, take a breath and, and simply be in a moment is a very difficult thing to attain. We've all spoken about our own personal struggles with our mental health. We dedicated an entire special episode to it, which I would encourage you to seek out and listen if you, if you haven't heard it. But for someone like me, with my particular cocktail of, of mental health problems, you know, a, a decent foundation of anxiety and depression, topped off with lashings of hot OCD, <laughs> just the faintest, the faintest sousson of uh, ADHD, it, it means that my, <laughs> it means that my head is very rarely a quiet place to be. So anything that allows me to, to slow down and, and find a moment of quiet or peace is, is a very precious thing. Like the launch of New Horizons at the time it did, it, verging on miraculous and, and the benefits of a game like Animal Crossing can have for your life can be enormous. In a time where we're still in the midst of a global pandemic, terrorist attacks, right wing hate speak, immense political unrest... Standing still among all that chaos can feel entirely overwhelming, especially when your daily routine will have been uprooted as your job may have been lost or you were furloughed or you had to factor in homeschooling or adding healthcare professional and carer to your list of responsibilities. A game like Animal Crossing can give you the gentle bit of structure and routine that you really need to be able to keep grounded, keep your head from running away with you and kindly bookending your day with the type of relentless optimism that would make Elmo vomit. <laughs> I've worked as a freelancer ever since I was in film school, though I've had some established jobs during that time as well, where I have worked nine to five. I've always kept my independent work on the go as well. And for the past few years, I've been solely self-employed. And this has meant that my days rarely had a set routine. I never really clock off. I don't have defined working hours. And Animal Crossing has actually been my saviour through some of the hardest times in my life, providing me with that touchstone to allow me to know where I am, even if it's only for half an hour a day. Like, I've spoken about this before, but this game reached another level of importance to me a couple of years ago when my wife was going through a bit of a rough patch. I, I spoke to her about the stability and comfort that Animal Crossing had given me through many turbulent times in my life. And I took great pleasure in wiping my save file and handing it over to her to build her own village which she did dutifully for, for many, many hours. And it too brought her great comfort and joy. And it was also nice to hear about the additional features which have been added into the game since since I played it, namely all of the welcome amiibo updates, which totally you know rejuvenated the game. And, and it's, it's nice to sort of spot the seeds of some ideas there that, that made it into New Horizons. It's a miraculous franchise. Uh, I've had no problem pouring hundreds of hours into New Horizon, even though I'm largely doing it exactly the same stuff I was doing in Wild World and New Leaf. And I'll have no problem pouring hundreds more hours into it over the next few months as the season turns from autumn to winter to spring. I can celebrate my birthday, Christmas, New Year's, countless other ridiculous holidays that Isabel will make up, all in my idyllic little virtual home that, that feels as much like home as anything ever has done. And yeah, I, I mean, I think that sums it up. Animal Crossing feels like home. All the the warmth, familiarity, comfort and kindness that, that comes with it. I I absolutely love it. And uh, yeah, maybe it should be higher. Beautiful. Really, really lovely. And and the noises I was making is because I, I have such like a, a deep emotional connection to this franchise as well mm. that it's too low. <laughs> 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 
I, I I'm not going to say anything else. But yeah, it's um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What what a series! What a perfect series! I think it's one of the downsides of having game stand in for entire franchises is New Leaf doesn't necessarily sum up everything that Animal Crossing means to me. Yeah, but now. You know, obviously with New Horizons and reflecting on it and just reflecting on games in general so much over the last couple of years, I think, yeah, it would probably make me reappraise where this goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. Our 12th favourite video games. Three absolute bangers. First of all, we had... Pharaoh. And then we had... Warrior Land 2. And finally, Animal Crossing New Leaf. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do share the podcast on social media. You can engage with us on social media as well, facebook.com slash our3cents. Have a chat to us on there. Share the page, ask us questions you might like us to answer in a future episode. You can reach out to us individually. You can find us on our Twitter handles. I'm at Jonathan Dunn. I'm at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I'm underscore Boo. <laughs> and if you're really enjoying what we're doing, please do check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash our3cents. We're going to be adding a whole bunch more perks on there as well as we're nearing the end of our second season and gearing up to tackle our top 10 favourite video games of all time in our third season. So if you don't want to miss out on all of these amazing things, subscribe, follow, share and get engaged. And we will see you next week for the season two finale and our number 11 favourite video games of all time. All the ones. See you then. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. Hey folks, it's Asif Khan, CEO, Editor-in-Chief over there at ShackNews.com. Give a listen to the Shackcast, the official Shack News podcast of Shack News, uh, over there on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Hunter Hunter, Yu Hakusho, Literary Analysis, Comparative Localization, Jojo References. The works of Yoshihiro Togashi hold a specific kind of magic, and the people who seek to examine their roots and spiritual descendants are known as the Spirit Hunters. Available on the Greenlit Podcast Network.